Grassroots Community Network's 2017 Aspen City Council candidate and election coverage is made possible by a grant from the Thrift Shop of Aspen, where your donations and purchases of clothing and other personal items supports dozens of nonprofits throughout the Roaring Fork Valley. Underwriting for Grassroots ProBlind series of in-depth candidate discussions is provided by A&B Bank Aspen, a bank like no other, with the strength, talent, commitment, and security to fulfill their business and personal customers' financial needs. A special thanks to Aspen Journalism for partnering with Grassroots on ProBlind, because well-informed citizens make better decisions. Discover more local, in-depth investigative journalism at aspenjournalism.org. It is simple to join these local institutions in supporting grassroots programming. Click the Donate button on your next visit to grassrootstv.org. You can watch this program and thousands of other grassroots programs online at grassrootstv.org, as well as on Cable Channel 12, Up Valley, Cable Channel 82, Down Valley, and Free TV Channel 12.1, over the Picking County Translator System. Or find a podcast of this discussion and many other informative and inspiring local presentations by clicking the iTunes or SoundCloud icons at the top of grassrootstv.org homepage. Hi, Tori. Hi, Brent. <laughs> that's, that's the intro. Wow, that's, that's the start of the show. Pretty huh? professional, wow. huh? All right. Yeah. Hey, it's nice to um, see you again. We do this, uh, would you say, every two years? Every, for the two, every two years for the last 16. This will be 16. Wow. Can yeah. you run down your resume for me? How, how... Uh, my political campaign resume yes, yes. Um, would start in uh, 2001. Mm-hmm. With a run for mayor, mm -hmm. uh, I ran against um, Rachel Richards, Helen Clandrud, and Charlie Tarver. Um, uh, you know, that was uh, me coming out of nowhere. I, I wanted to affect the straight shot, which was coming up for a vote. So um, primarily I got involved because of an issue. Um, I lost. I came in fourth out of four uh, that year. But I did impact the election. So um, you know, Rachel I, won that? Helen actually won that. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Rachel was the incumbent. She was unseated. Uh, Helen won the mayorship, and um, the straight shot was somewhat defeated. I mean, twists and turns over the years, uh, but I digress. It's still um, lives out there, kind of. It does, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then 2003, you know, I was really uh, energized, galvanized by the, the run that I did. And 2003, I ran for my first council seat. Uh, I won that year uh, in a runoff election. Um, and uh, so that was a four-year term. That takes me to 2007. I ran for mayor in that election uh, against Mick Ireland. I lost that election. So two years later again then, I ran for a city council seat and won that again for another four-year term. So all told, I've won twice, done two four-year terms on city council. And you've run for mayor? Five times total. Including two years ago? Including two years ago against Steve Scadron, mm -hmm. and four years ago against Steve Scadron. Okay. I was, uh, I was term limited for running for council over the last four years. So you get two terms on council. If I wanted to run for office or be involved, I had to run for the mayor's seat. And now enough time has gone by, you can run for council again? Yeah, once four years has elapsed or the time of a term, then right. you can run again. Uh, since then, there, there's been uh, some new regulations put in. I believe there's a total now of uh, 14 total years that you can run. All told, you so you have know, six more potentially. So, so from this, from this <laughs> forward, it's a cap of fourteen. <laughs> so uh, there was some letters after, or at least one letter I saw after you um, said, "Okay, I'm running." There were people like, "Okay, enough, Tori. Yeah. You know, we're good." Uh, I thought it was kind of a mean letter, and I thought about you going, "Well, you know, it's not like fame and glory is attached to this particular gig." It's um, not. So I, I think a lot of people do think that, though. You mm -hmm. know, I think that they think that the. Uh, the ego gets involved in this. And I think for some people it does, uh, you know, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I would not say that, you know, I'm driven by cause and issue. Um, people often say, what's your platform? And, you know, I'm an issue-based candidate. You know, the environment is extremely important, uh, local housing, local business, uh, transportation, how it affects our valley and, and such. So I'm very issue-oriented. Um, the letter that was written was written by somebody I've known for years and years. and. Um, 
I think just as often as I run a campaign, he writes a negative letter about me. So mm. um, it's perennial. So it's, it wasn't. It's not. It's not. A <laughs> it wasn't new that thing. big of a deal. It's not a new thing. Plus, you must still get around town. Hey, what's happening in City Hall? Like people don't really have a total understanding if you're on or off council. <laughs> Without a doubt, kind of interesting that you say that, but that's absolutely true. Um, people often ask, "Are you still on City Council?" Mm -hmm. um, which is um, disheartening in one way that they that they don't know who their representatives are currently. But it's also um, very nice of them to consider me as being there or somebody that's still an influencer in what's going on in local government. So. Double-edged, I suppose. I get asked about it. Are you still with that job you had 15 years ago? So, <laughs> 15 years? <laughs> and, and, and there's always changes with you, and so there's that's always, valid. It's hard to keep up. Yeah, it's best to start with me like, so what are you doing? Um, <laughs> I'm with you. So you've been going back. When you get engaged, well, let me first, did you disengage uh, after your last two years? Did you say, okay, you know what? Mentally, I'm going to the Bahamas, and I'm not interested in what's happening in City Hall, I'm checking out? Or no, did you, you, no. There no. was a small stretch where physically I went to the Caribbean, but no, <laughs> mentally I didn't check out. Uh -huh. um, over the last couple of years, the issues that I've been, that I was trying to affect, one was the, um, the power plant um, proposal, the old art museum. As it went through its process, um, I tried to stay involved with that and give some guidance. I've been working on that issue for years and years and years, so I thought that really I had some history and some insights that, that could have helped them. Um, which I really thought that that process just went totally sideways. It seemed like a total debacle. I didn't understand why the city didn't say, hey, we're getting some space back. We need to rehab the building. We need some flexible space, and then we'll figure out what to do with it. As opposed to, okay, everybody, bring in your hopes and dreams. I know it crushed a lot of people. It crushed grassroots. It crushed the science center. Yeah, yeah. Right? And now it's being used as a... Flexible overflow space for the city. For offices, for, for office space. Right. Um, you know, and that's exactly the proposal that I came with. I, I was talking to city staff and other council members and saying, let's refurb the building a little bit, you know, make it safe, of course, and then let's return it to the community. You know, it could have organically grown into the proposals that were out there, and, and I, we really could have shared the space. I thought everybody could have had an, an opportunity to use it, the Science Center, uh, even the brewery could have been the F&B operator down there for certain events and such. Uh, grassroots could have done some filming and shows out of there. So I really thought that it was a missed opportunity to return it to the community. I thought it was interesting, though, that the, I thought the city had a right to say, no, it's our building. We need it. We're moving a bunch of pieces around. The commissioners are going to need to move. The, the cops are going to need to move. I thought the city was really reluctant to say, we're just going to use it for city needs. And I thought they... Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, I guess. I, I would agree. Look, hey, if that was the best usage of it and, and something that returned something to the citizenry, which you'd have to say that city offices does that in, in, in some way. degree. Um, but I thought that the way that it came about really was uh, at the tail end of a long, drawn-out process of two years that involved all these great community members and really, I thought, left them flat. But your question was about going away or stepping away yeah, from, from no, so, so the, the city hall proposals that are going on right now, I tried to stay involved in that and give some guidance and, and some suggestions there. Um, uh, most recently, the formula store uh, regulations, I, I worked on that for months, um, trying, to, trying to help in some local business aspects. And so, no, I've been kind of very involved. But part of the reason that I'm running is because I really felt like my voice wasn't being listened to, uh, um, not even really uh, taken into account for the most part. You know, a lot of times when you address city council right now, you get a nice little grin and a thank you. And then next, there's, there's very little, I think, exchange of ideas going on with the community right now, which is one of the big reasons that I am running in this election. So we have an interesting race in the sense that we have two incumbents on council running, and we have some strong candidates for council running. And so are we running are you running against those incumbents? Do you you know I know it's a small town, I'm sure you don't want to personally attack an incumbent either Art Daly or, or Ann Mullins, but yeah. but inescapably you're just by running you're basically saying I think I could do a better job and I should be elected over you guys being returned to council. That that's exactly correct. So, uh, I, I really feel that I'm not running against candidates. I'm running for a seat. Um, and there are two seats available. That means that every voter can vote for two uh, representatives to, mm -hmm. to get onto city council. And um, very much, I'm, I'm looking to make changes in the representation that is currently there. 
So you've been going to city council a little more intensely recently, I imagine, checking back in and seeing what's going on. You know, not, not, not because of the campaign, um, but just because there are still some issues that are going on that I'm, I'm very interested in. Um, you know, the, the Gorsuch House proposal that's going on is not just a discussion about a hotel. It's not a discussion about the lift. It's not just a discussion about the base of our ski area. It, it, it's really a, kind of another test of our values. You know, what trade-offs are we willing to make for development? Um, what do we want when we talk about um, more visitors in town? Uh, what is our capacity in Aspen? Um, so I think, uh, you know, the Gorsuch House is something that I've been really paying attention to and, and have really wanted to be in the room for. Um, it's, been, it's been a discussion that's gone on <clears throat> that I think is really best eaten live. You know, I, I, as a matter of fact, just this past Monday, I uh, helped out at New York Pizza where sometimes when they need somebody to cover, I'll cover a shift, and I love working there, love working there. Uh, and as soon as I, my shift was done at about 9.15, I went straight over and sat there for another two hours in council chambers, just listening to the discussion. Um, so I, instead of watching that on TV, which often I tune in, you know, on Channel 11 and watch the meetings, but that one I wanted to be there live for. So I've been a little, I've been distant from the Gorsuch House. One thing I've been thinking about is it just should be called Hotel X. In other words, they've done a good job of branding it. There is some awareness of the Gorsuch name and some yeah. respect for what they've achieved in the ski industry. And, so it's a bit unfair because when you review a development, it should never be, I don't think, a, um, a popularity contest for the developer. So I've been calling it Hotel X. Do we want to see Hotel X up there? And so what's your take on it so far? So far, I'm just sort of saddened as a spectator that the ski company doesn't seem to be really involved up there. We don't have a good community plan for the area. It's being done in a piecemeal fashion, and I'm, I'm not enthused. Yeah. I think we all, for years and years, have been talking about master planning that side, that base area of the mountain. Um, you, again, your read is right on. I, I agree with you. I, it, it seems like there are players that should be at the table that aren't at the table, um, whether it's the Brown Brothers uh, or the Ski Co., um, there doesn't seem to be a, a collaborative effort going on. I know that City Council right now is looking to try to get that going. Uh, the mayor is trying once again to engage those voices and, and hear, hear what's going on there. Um, Do you think it comes down to the lift? Is well, that... hopefully we can separate those because they are not co-joined, uh, you know, as far as applications go. The lift can be improved. The lift could be improved tomorrow if they want it. It to, really right? could be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is a... a a choice for ski company to be moving ahead with. Um, so that's separate. Then you have access from Durant or Dean, which is a separate it, issue than it, the 1A lift. Basically, it, it, right? I, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of issues that go on with it. You know, absolutely moving people up to that lift. Uh, and I think what you really touch on when you talk about Ski Co's involvement is how how much do we want that side activated? Uh, obviously, we would love new lift service and a base area that can still hold races i mean when the world cup finals were just here you could feel our ski heritage in the streets i mean every that was just a, an event to another level and i think that everybody in town would say that we want to continue that so obviously we want to make improvements there but how active do we want that side how active does ski company want that side i, I think those are interesting questions then when you look at hotel x <laughs> and what they bring to that side of the mountain, is that the facilities that we want over there? You know, some of my questions for them uh, moving into this next phase of what their proposal is starting to look like, um, spa square footage, meeting room square footage, ballroom square footage. What are the amenities that are going on on that side of the mountain? And are they appropriate for that side of the mountain? So when you look at the overall size of the building, the massing uh, and the square footage, what should actually be there? Hey, you know, obviously, like a small coffee shop would be great at the bottom of a lift because people would probably want to grab something. Uh, an après spot, small bar, does it need to be the size of Ajax Tavern patio? Probably not on that side. So really what's appropriate to go over there is, is a big question. I'm fascinated by the different base areas that we have because 
some are so simple and they have the basics like two creeks it's like okay it's got a bathroom it's got a locker it's got a ski shop it's got a little cafe yeah so it's pretty much all you need it take care of you it's pretty much all you need at the base of snowmass as far as i'm concerned um, <laughs> <laughs> too and so again it's it's difference between how much of this is lodging and how much of this is ski area it's, yeah. it's apparently hard to untangle and right now the council remains Kind of reluctant and unimpressed. That would definitely be my read coming out of this past meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they kind of want to say yes, but they just can't bring themselves to do it. Is that where they're at? <laughs> you know, I think that's a great <laughs> characterization, mm -hmm. I, it, which would also, which would make me happy uh, if that's the tone that's going on, because I think that I feel the same way. <clears throat> I would love if it was just an easy application and that we could move forward with it, but it, but it's just not. It's just not. So I feel the same thing as you're saying, a little frustrated that, that it's not that easy um, to approve that. Uh, but I'm glad we're taking our time with it to make and, sure that it's right. And you can talk about it freely now up until, I mean, you can say anything you want about it, right? You're not bound by anything and you're not going to prejudice a future um, technically, vote. Technically, no. Technically, you can say what you want. Correct. But I think... Right. Um, uh, Trying to be a little mindful, maybe. Absolutely. You know, mm. there is a strong possibility that it... it this application will still be sitting there for a next council. So, you know, I, I don't want to say anything that, that really conflicts me out of making sound judgments later in the future. But, right. but technically, no, I'm not, I'm not bound to anything at this point. You haven't been retained as a consultant by anyone. I'm just Tory citizen <laughs> at this point. Yes, I'm not, the, <laughs> I'm not a paid person in the room on this one. Can we talk about the chain stores? Uh, you mentioned you were involved with that. Yeah. And, and that was interesting in that it did seem to be sort of a a citizen um, initiated yes. idea. Yes. It was interesting to see Jerry Murdoch step into the yeah. local arena. Jerry's a very powerful person, I think it's fair to say, very intelligent, influential. And so I was interested to see someone of his stature sort of get involved in that, yeah. and, and which I guess all citizens have a, a right, uh, whether they yeah. live on Red Mountain or, or live downtown <laughs> or whatever. And so yeah. was that a, was that a a Murdoch-driven thing, or did he get drafted in from another group of... How did that coalesce? <clears throat> okay. Uh, it was very much Jerry. Uh, I am very fortunate. I work with Jerry um, in my tennis profession. Okay. So um, I have the opportunity of hanging out with him uh, on some regular regularity, mm -hmm. um, maybe some couple times a week, as a matter of fact. Uh -huh. And uh, over the last... He's not very competitive, is he? <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the perfect sport, trust right. me, the perfect sport for him. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've just been so impressed. You know, over the la I've known him now for, I think, I think we're coming closer to 15 years or something. Mm -hmm. And oh, I've really seen him uh, grow and mature. And uh, all respect, you know, I'm not saying that he was immature before or whatever, but grow and mature. His involvement with the Aspen Institute, um, is just the tip of the iceberg. And so I had the opportunity to really talk to him a lot leading up to this. And he, we would talk about a lot of different issues. Um, his concern and uh, genuine love for Aspen is as deep as anybody's. And then when he m started saying that he wanted to get involved with this and do this, I, nothing but, I was just proud. I, I really was, you know, because we, we'd enjoyed so many political conversations over the years. And I really uh, admire him and respect him. He's an intelligent guy. He's one of those people that I look at and I'm like, I just recognize that my brain doesn't work the same. I mean, he's a high-tech venture capitalist for anyone who doesn't know He is a high-tech venture capitalist. Him. Yeah, very successful. And, um, and you can just see the way mm -hmm. that he evaluates problems and comes up with solutions. It's amazing. So I was very proud of him when he was coming forward with this. It was very much Jerry-driven. Um, he, he hired and paid for the consultant. He but, did. You know, okay. he got a legal team involved. You know, uh -huh. if, if it were I, I would go over to City Hall and say, how do I do this? I would probably sit on my computer and draft an ordinance myself. Um, but he went for some professional input. And thank God he did. You know, I mean, what it actually, the, the, the movements of getting to the final ordinance um, were pretty complicated. It went back and forth quite a bit. Um, so I thought it was an interesting process because there did seem to be something got achieved but it wasn't so draconian yet there is a threat of a lawsuit but not a lawsuit yet is that where we are that's correct okay that's correct i mm -hmm. mean it was it was held out there and um uh, we were very careful you know we we constructed it based on other communities that have uh withstood challenge in the courts so we think that it's it it, it stands on its own it's defensible here's the very here's the most interesting part about it it it's a reactionary ordinance 
the truth is that the council has been looking at ways to help local business um, in, in many different ways and has failed to act for years, for years. So anything from an affordable commercial program uh, to uh, the incubator space that was supposed to go into the power plant um, to other locally, local business oriented initiatives. Um, there was a great study commissioned by uh, the city years ago, 2008, 2009, uh, that outlined half a dozen suggestions for helping your local economy and your local businesses and your locals in general um, as you serve a tourist population as well. And really, none of them have been implemented. So but nothing's really changed since we have, we have a little zoning that's sort of supposed to be for locally oriented businesses, and that's still there, and nothing has really that's grown right. beyond there's that. Really, there's really not been progress in that area um, in years. I have to say, though, with the chain store, um, again, sort of from a distance, I was thinking, well, so many people love to shop on vacation, and that's clearly we have a, it seems to be working. I mean, we have a short season, but it's busy, and it's, people are down there spending a lot of money. And so I was kind of thinking, I'm not sure it's broken or needs tinkering from the government. I'm sure I, if I owned a downtown commercial building, I probably wouldn't feel that way. Um, and so I, I kind of wondered, like, well, are they trying to fix something that's not really broken? Are you tinkering too much with the free market? And given that Jerry was a venture capitalist, I thought that was really interesting. I thought, well, wait, I thought you might, you might be the first one to stand up and say, no, we should let the market do what it wants to do. Right. Um, I mean, what's wrong? That it's about the future. Okay. It's about the future. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I, I think we all agreed um, that we love Aspen as it is. Um, and and that's the impetus for putting stuff like this in place so that in the future we can continue to enjoy it. You're right, I don't think it's broken at this point. And keep in mind, this is not a ban. We are not kicking any stores out. Um, and as you said, it, it really got watered down to a very amenable position that, that doesn't really tie the hands of many building owners, landlords, or developers for that matter. Um, so, I, I, you know, as I look to the future, I definitely want to see the diverse mix of business that we, I wouldn't say currently enjoy. You know, what, what have we lost? Well, we've lost the lower end, more affordable. And, and why is that important? Well, it's important because your citizenry wants to be able to enjoy their town as well. And when you take away the, the more affordable and let's say uh, restaurants or retail shops that you would go to with some sort of regularity, right? When you go to buy a shirt, if you're going to go buy a Prada shirt, speaking for myself, maybe for you as well, hey, I would, I, maybe Prada, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, you're not shopping there every Thrift day. Shop. It, it's yeah. not locally serving. Right. You know, you might buy one shirt every five years from there just because you want that snappy Prada shirt, but it's not locally serving. Uh, when you go out to dinner, hey, you can only go to Cash Cash and Matsuhisa so many times. Um, but when you have friends or family and you want to go for that affordable bite, um, you know, we've seen some of that loss. So it's really about a diverse mix. We're not saying let's get rid of the top end of stuff. Of course we want that here. Uh, of course our visitors want that here. And some of our locals want that here. So it's about mix. It's not, it's not about weighing one way or the other. It's about having it all. When I have visitors, I, I tend to take them to New York Pizza and say, look, See, this is a little piece of Aspen's soul still here. This yeah. is Earl. Hey, say hi to Earl. You know, and, uh, and it's great. You know, and they're awesome. like, oh, cool. I thought you guys, you know, had lost control of the town. And so, but we have lost, I mean, I went by the old Cooper Street Pier space the other day and looked in and said, okay, it's probably doing pretty well. They're still here. But, yeah. boy, that was cool. And I missed that. You know, and, and a failed effort there. You know, the, the, the overall plan was actually to put in a locally serving, affordable eatery downstairs which no one has found attractive to do, apparently. Uh, actually, I believe the big drawback is that when they built the building, they did not build in the appropriate ventilation. So for anybody to go into that basement space and try to make it work, it would be a remodel and an investment that is cost prohibitive. Hmm. So it, that opportunity may be lost forever. Right. Let's talk about downtown. You still live downtown? I do. And so we had a downtown moratorium, which has... I've, I've become such a spectator, I have to say, I'm becoming, because I'm not covering the city, and I haven't yeah. for a couple of years, so I'm like, oh yeah, downtown moratorium, okay, well, I kind of know what's going on, but I, 
I don't really. Can you sort of refresh me on where we stand with that? So it was a year-long process for mm -hmm. uh, land use code revisions. Um, you know, uh, going into a moratorium is, is most often done just to put a halt on applications. As you're making code changes for something that you see as a better uh, utilization of space downtown or what have you uh, for building codes, uh, you'd like to, as we say, uh, put a pause on, level the playing field. You don't want a rush of applications for people that are fearing that some of their property rights are going to be taken away or diminished, if you will. Um, so it was a year-long moratorium. I'd say they, they made some positive changes, um, some things that I didn't agree with, but um, some positive changes for that. So you push the pause button, you call the moratorium, that stops the application process while you're making the changes. That gives the future development a clearer picture of what they can expect. And the moratorium is now over? And the moratorium is, uh, let's see, when does it lift? It's is it soon? It is soon. It's uh, maybe in the next week or two. Okay. Yeah. And so did they tinker or did they dramatically change? It wasn't the same moratorium as, as the big fight over 28 feet on the north side. And, and that was different, right? right? This was another moratorium. This is, yes. Okay. And so it was more tinkering? Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah. They, they, made some, they made some changes, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, they expanded the 28-foot height limit to s down Main Street and some other uh, mixed-use zones and, and just outside the actual CC commercial core. Um, and uh, a few other changes. I mean, I actually did do a little research, and, and there is a sort of a, a guide to what changed during the moratorium, which I thought was fairly easy to read, and I appreciated that. Oh, there's, there's a guide? There's <laughs> classes that are going on? I mean, yeah, it's... It's, it's uh, a City Hall land use planning... 101 again, 101. back to the basics. Let's right. read, let's read through this and see what works and what doesn't. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'll point out again uh, in that land use process. I, I thought there were some lost opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll pull out just one for you. Okay. Uh, uh, they uh, disincentivized uh, affordable housing downtown. Mm -hmm. So you, if you were building a building downtown and you wanted to put in uh, affordable housing, uh, you used to be able to utilize the certificate. Uh, from that to offset uh, housing for whatever project. Uh, and they disincentivized that. They took that ability away, which I disagreed with. I, I think that affordable housing downtown is something that if a developer is willing to do at all, that I think we should have taken them up on that. So Why did I, they do that? Was that because it was causing problems or it wasn't a good mix or something? You know, I, I don't know their individual exact reasons. I think that um, perhaps they were saying that they wanted to promote commercial development in the core. Um. <laughs> you have to be there at every meeting and go through every work session to truly understand how different things get put in and get pulled out. It seems it, you can't dip in yeah, um, very casually. You know, here, here's another issue that I've been having with City Hall since I've been off council for the last four years. The public input process has changed dramatically. So it, I, the reason I bring that up is, is because of how you say it. You'd have to go to every minute of every meeting. Darn near impossible. Uh, because the process has been bifurcated and split off. So you have a public process now where you're gathering information. Staff is on hand. They'll talk through things. Public comment is typically not even taken at work sessions. Um, that was you know, a decree years ago uh, by the mayor. Um, so there's, there's a... There's a lack of exchange of information and ideas. And again, I bring that up just because of, as you were saying, well, you'd really have to go listen to every word to follow the track of how these processes are going. Mm -hmm. And whether that's the old power plant proposal to the new city hall that's being proposed, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's been, a lot to keep up with. It's, it's a lot to keep up with. It's been interesting. And I really, I, I'm disappointed in that, in the bifurcation of that process. I, I think it's really, by bifurcation, you mean that some of it's gone so, behind so th closed so doors? Kind yeah, of? so that we've taken the public input process and separated it kind of from the staff and city council meetings. Um, when I served the eight years that I served on council, our work sessions were really about that. So stakeholders in whatever issue you're talking about would be in the room while you're trying to decide on these solutions. And now it's a different process where that input is taken. And you think that's led to more like 
I need to meet with the mayor one on one to get my point across. And it's it, it, it it's probably led to a little bit more of that. I know it's led to higher costs for the taxpayers as we, um, you know, have broken out into more meetings and public outreach is kind of an expensive proposition, um, and I. More, I just think that it's it's insulated the council from maybe hearing from uh, citizenry. Good examples of that, perhaps, are the failed lodging incentive package that came through. Mm -hmm. um, that got uh, rescinded before enacted because of citizen outcry on it. Uh, you have the base two uh, that city council approved but was repealed by a citizen referendum. Um, you know, I think there's, that's probably what's leading to that, is that there's a lack of communication going on between citizenry and council. Those two things are, are, were both really interesting. I thought, I thought the, the lodging incentive seemed to have a fair amount of momentum. There's clearly things that are keeping some lodges from replacing the shag carpeting um, from the 70s and renovating the individualized condominiums. Yeah. Difficult problem there. Um, I thought that was going pretty well, but then it seemed to turn into too big of a incentive package that people pushed back on, and yet it, then it just sort of died. Like, well, okay, I guess we'll deal with lodging some other time, right? I mean, yeah, I'm so uh, surprised by that. I thought, well, okay, that wouldn't didn't quite work, but you shouldn't abandon the the whole concept. There. I, I agree. I, I think the original impetus for it was uh, trying to help out some of the existing lodges, smaller lodges, mm -hmm. getting out of their way in in in. Uh, renovation, et cetera. Right. Uh, and then I think that it grew and it took on another shape where it was really incentivizing new development. Um, and I think that was kind of the breaking point for at least this side of the table. The citizens were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are we giving away here? Right. And boy, you know, in this town, heights are the most precious and dear thing in the world. Um, and I agree with that to some, some level. Um, you know, I, I, I've always considered myself pretty moderate I'm a, I, I, try to, I try to be as balanced as possible. We, we were talking about the Gorsuch house and, and that feeling of, gee, I would love to be uh, a supporter of some redevelopment, some, some growth. I'd love that, but I want to make sure it's right. You know? And I, I do believe in property rights. I do believe in redevelopment. Um, but I also, you know, Aspen is priority and what's best for Aspen needs to be first. So, and with base two, we went from apparently Mark Hunt was going to, it seemed, come in and develop, redevelop all his properties at once. That was defeated. And since then, he's been pretty quiet. Yeah. Um, what did base two tell you, the defeat of base two? That city voters still have a, an instinct for what's too much? That was a pretty harsh put down. I, I thought that um, the, the parking, right, was an issue there. And um, everyone knows that's the trickiest street in Aspen to turn into, maybe. It, it's already a cluster. It's, in there. A, tough, it's a tough area. I, I was really feeling for the neighbors, the neighborhood impact there. And, and sure, it's on Main Street on one side, but it's sitting on residential right behind it. I thought the impacts for the neighborhood were going to be. Um, uh, deeply felt well, parking impacts the lack of setbacks on the building uh, on the rear on the alley side uh, you know that we call for a five-foot buffer there and that was zeroed out I thought that the neighborhood was gonna was gonna feel the impacts of that um, did you vote against it uh, I did I did and I said that it was a lose-lose situation I honestly felt that, um, you know, it was interesting. The parking was, was there was no parking uh, in the original application. Then they put it underground. And then, as it was moving towards the vote, the citizen referendum on this thing, then all of a sudden, 15 spots can be put below. Okay, well, to me, that signaled a little uh, disingenuous uh, during the, the talks and the the process to get to the building. So, because either these things work without parking, which was the concept, or they don't. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, if you're going to come back and say, "Oh, now we can do 15 parking spots," well, what other things about the building? For example, the, the heights, the setbacks, um, those those were all some uh, small degree of variance there. But were those necessary? If you're saying that you could have fixed the parking problem before we even got to this place. Why could why did you need the other variances? Well, I was kind of stunned that the parking got thrown in there just because it's so expensive to do underground parking. 
And so to su suggest that, hey, we can build 15 spaces, and generally you hear the 20,000 a space or whatever, you're like. Even more. Yeah, you're like, wow. It's more. Okay. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Then, I, then how does that building work? Um, so. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, again, I thought the process on that, um, you know, ended up being the defeat of something. It was a lose-lose. I bought gas there yesterday and was sitting there sort of looking around going, well, I guess it's better that I can buy gas here. But because I also wasn't against a small, exciting lodge. I thought that would have been cool. And it's not a bad spot for one. Um, but it, it I, agree. Interesting, I agree. Interesting discussion here in town. I, thought. I, I agree. I thought, I thought that, um, you know, Mark Hunt, the developer on that and, and some other lodging projects that he was uh, proposing, I thought those were uh, decent redevelopment opportunities. You know, base one over there by City Market, that was a little that was a little tougher for me just because of the displacement of local housing and local business that's there. What does it say that that hasn't been changed? That um, it was like Johnny McGuire's moved out for nothing. Um, another little chink in the armor gone. You know, <laughs> it, cut. it's the same with like uh, when the chart house you know, moved out. It sat empty for years. It was like, hey, you're terminated, but we're not even going to be able to get going on anything here. So right. that's a that's you think one of base the, one's still going to happen. Do you know? I you don't know. It's just I, like out there in the void. I really don't like. know. I don't mm -hmm. know if, you know, uh, I think Mark Hunt was talking about uh, the necessity of uh, several of those projects moving forward together. You know, mm -hmm. base one and base two were linked. Um, and in what in what way, marketing or facilities or management? I, I don't know the, the right. details, but um, yeah, I don't I don't know where we're going to stand. He also has another approval for the old Crystal Palace, um, right? To make that into what's called what was called a sixteen room boutique hotel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I, I was uh, dismayed at that as well when City Council uh, joined the two properties there. Uh, right. You know, I thought that that's moving in the wrong direction for mm -hmm. development downtown. So I'm sitting here thinking that someday archaeologists will look back at all of our conversations <laughs> over the years and they'll find a common thread that, wow, so every time they get together, they talk about the entrance to Aspen as if it's some sort of um, thing, some sort of mythical thing that must be discussed. <laughs> and this time we can do it because it's back, right? There's a, a new study and they're taking a closer look at what might be done from Brush Creek in. And, and I'm a fan of transportation planning. Um, I'm part of the problem. I live a in Basalt. A fan of transportation I planning. I am. Okay. I'm such a geek. But I live in Basalt, and I'm totally part of the problem. Um, I drive up occasionally. Sometimes I take the bus. Um, I'm not as big a problem, I don't think, as my, my dear, hardworking spouse, who tends to drive more than I do. But we're both part of the problem. We can uh, edit that out. Yeah, right? please. Please. Um, so I'm, I'm open and excited that Aspen is, is talking about it again. I think it's great. Uh, frankly, and I don't know if you're rolling your eyes like, well, okay. I'm not. I'm just no. I, I mean, in general, like, metaphorically, metaphorically, like, oh, here we go again. Um, no, but, absolutely not. Okay. Boy, if I if I felt that about any issue, <laughs> then I should not be running for office. That's true. You know, because it is it is retread of issue around here. Right. Hey, I um, you know, what do I see? I, I first have of you all, seen the study? Have you, did you go I, to the president? I, I, I did. I okay. did. I okay. did. Um, I didn't. So. Uh, I disagreed when they uh, commissioned this study. Um, I think Adam Frisch uh, said it when he was like, hey, even if we get a great answer, would we actually do anything? Mm. You know, what is our political will here? Mm -hmm. So I didn't agree with spending, I think his, I think this latest study was running a half a million dollars was approved. Yeah. Um, you know, our good friend Ralph Trapani is back talking about right. the entrance to Aspen. Yeah. Um, what did we come up with? We come up. We came up with uh, something to the tune of four hundred million dollars to build a light rail from somewhere in town. Right, but I have to say, you know, cost to that. To the, I don't know why I want to defend this, but it's it's a, it was a hundred million to build the three miles of four lane in Snowmass Canyon, and that was in two thousand three or four. So in other words, the four hundred million or five hundred million. It's not my money, I guess. It doesn't really spook me so much as people are saying, oh, my God, that's so ridiculous. Why do we even look at this? In other words, but it seemed to get a bad rap right away that it was that much for light rail and people dismissed it when it didn't strike me as being that ridiculous given how much it cost to, to build a highway, for example. Well, um, let's see. I think, I think one, uh, the sticker shock there is um, not, that it's, not that it's so much, but where to get that money. Mm. 
So I don't think $400 million is sitting out there. Just seems like an impossible figure. Yeah, so I mm -hmm. agree. When you talk about constructing roadways, transportation solutions these days, hey, $400 million is what the going rate is, perhaps. Right. But to get a, to get a uh, light rail service only as far as, I think, the intercept lot. Brush Creek I, and 82. I think that... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, Which I, is the entrance to Aspen in my mind these days. I can't, I can't remember. $400 million might have been to the airport. $500 million might have been through Shale Bluffs area to get to the intercept. It was something like that. There was, right. they, they had a, you know, a cafeteria menu kind of option uh -huh. there. So it's between four and $500 million. To get that far was a bummer. Boy, if it could run all the way down to Glenwood, if it could look to meet up with other uh, rail resources in the future that may be coming down I-70, that'd be great. But, but that's the easiest way to kill light rail in Aspen is to say that it has to go to Glenwood. Then well, it becomes impossible. It happened once. You know, it well, happened sure. once. It was the vote from Basalt uh, that, that denied it valley-wide years ago. Mm -hmm. um, again, cost was a factor in that. But um, So what was the mood in the, it was the EOTC meeting, right? The Elected Officials Transportation Committee where that was unveiled? Right. And was light rail once again sort of dead on arrival or, or what? It depends on who you ask. You know, mm -hmm. there's light rail fans that, that see it as a, a, a valuable solution that should be implemented as soon as possible. And then you've got the other side of the room that, that thinks that that cost uh, and its potential effectiveness wouldn't pan out. You know, there's still a ridership issues out there. There's still the, the fact that uh, a light rail only serves a certain corridor. So you still have to have feeder bus systems. You still have to get people to that main line of rail. Um, so, you know, it depends on what camp you're in. Okay. I, what camp are you thank in? you very much. <laughs> I have long been an advocate for starting with a solution that, that is attainable and achievable. And that to me is three laning the current alignment through the S curves. So with a reversible lane w with a reversible lane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I would love to see a down Valley slip lane, which means that anybody driving from Aspen going down Valley would not necessarily have to enter the roundabout. It would be a lane that runs along the side that just allows you to keep on heading down Valley. Uh, I think that would stop some of the congestion that happens from entering and exiting the roundabout. Uh, I think we can do improvements on the current alignment. Um, at, at last look at that, you know, we were somewhere in the neighborhood of between 10 and $20 million to do that. Um, and, and I would support that. You know, I, some people are, again, saying, well, if you do that, you're going to increase auto, auto traffic into Aspen. And, you know, I, I'm aware, but right now what we've got going on isn't, I think, healthy for our community, healthy for our Down Valley uh, citizens, and, and I do. I've, I've, I view this valley as one. I'm not pr provincial about Aspen. You know, we need to work with everybody. Uh, Aspen Snowmass, absolutely. Aspen Snowmass, Basalt, Carbondale, Glenwood, yeah. You know, I think we're all connected. I, I think we're all citizens of Aspen, if you will. I've been frustrated over the years with the city um, sometimes. City Council seem to say, oh, it's the entrance to Aspen, it's unsolvable, and we should, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. Where, I guess I would appreciate, well, we're not going to solve this problem all at once. We should continually push to do whatever we can, whenever we can, small or large, to try and alleviate the situation, make transit more attractive, make driving less attractive. And where do you think this council is? Do they have an appetite? Is there any political will to actually try and affect what I call the global warming parade we have every morning and afternoon, um, uh, or no? With the current seated, again, mm -hmm. you know, there's yeah. an election coming up here May 2nd, yeah, so there's, yeah. there's going to be... Should we return the incumbents if we want progress on the entrance to Aspen? I would say no. I do not think that this council has taken a leadership role in looking for solutions on this. I think they probably mostly fall into the camp that you were saying about this is a little bit beyond me, and I don't have the solution. And, um, but doesn't the study indicate otherwise that they invested in the study? No. No, it just says they invested <laughs> to me in the study. It doesn't. Yeah, no. I, I think mm -hmm. so. That was what uh, Councilman Adam Frisch was saying. It was like, hey, guys, even if this comes back, do we have the will to do something? Um, I think the question that he put out there uh, fell on deaf ears. I don't think anybody replied, hell yeah, I've got it. I've got it. We'll do this. I don't think anybody was feeling that way. So you think it's too early to tell in terms of it was like sort of a, the first look at what the study had said? Right, it wasn't. It's not final, right? You know the tone that I heard in the room, and and the expressions on the faces, and even the questions or lack thereof. Uh, I, no, I, I I didn't feel 
that there was any solutions coming from the study. Hmm. Uh, it's almost like it seems like the council should always designate, okay, it's your turn to just work on the entrance to Aspen for a year. <laughs> <laughs> just go forth and do what you can. And whether it's bathrooms at the intercept lot or better use of the buttermilk park and ride or whatever it is to get Brent out of a Subaru, you know, let's keep working <laughs> on it. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of councils are organized like that where you would actually uh, give certain charge to individual council members. A lot of councils do work that way. Um, we, we don't really divvy up that much in, in that respect. Mm -hmm. Real quick, let me put a plug in for mass transit because I tell you, the other day I had to get out to the airport um, and get back in town from the airport. I jumped on the bus. And as I was riding the bus and passing the traffic on my way into town, well, first I get to the airport and I'm like, oh, look at this backup. Oh, no, what, what, what? I get on the bus, zip by this traffic, get into town literally in four or five minutes, no hesitations whatsoever. I'm sitting on that bus and I said, Tori, that is one of the best things that you did while you were on council is voting for the dedicated bus lanes. And it worked. Well, yeah. I can tell you as a citizen of the Valley, I. I ride the BRT quite a bit. I can walk to it from my house in Basalt, and and I love it. And I'm psyched they're building this new underpass in Basalt just for me, so I can <laughs> drift to the bus in the morning. And the BRT is so cool because you can go out there and stand and wait for a bus without worrying what time it is and whether you just missed a bus or you don't have to race for the bus right. stop. And so the BRT has significantly increased my transit ridership. So thank you for that, and, yeah. and thanks to every elected official who's invested in it. I think it's something that should. I know it's horrifically expensive, and there's an article today, March 31st, about we're going to need maybe a property tax to keep RAFTA going um, because federal funds are apparently not going to be forthcoming anymore. And so yeah. I don't have a problem with that, but I'm one of those people who think you should invest in public infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting to see if, if anyone can make a difference on that in the next four years. Can we count on you, Tori? Are you making a pledge to stay on it and wave the flag? And without a it? doubt, without <laughs> a doubt. I think that um, transportation uh, is uh, one of the most pressing issues for us. Um, I actually just had an opportunity to sit down with the mayor recently and, uh, and he was sharing his uh, heartfelt desire to actually move the needle on that as, as a priority for his upcoming campaign. And I'm not gonna you know, speak for him, but uh, that was refreshing to me. I, I, I appreciate that from him. Let's talk about uh, Aspen's conditional water rights uh, for storage reservoirs on Castle and Maroon. Yeah. I think it should be a, an issue, probably just because I've been covering a lot. And I'm pretty familiar and with it. And very well, as a matter of fact. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I think it comes down, so we have all, we have the two incumbent council members and the mayor who all voted to file a diligence application with the state to maintain those conditional water rights yeah. for reservoirs at Castle and Maroon. And I think it boils down to you have to ask yourself, well, you had an opportunity to make it more likely that a reservoir might be built within view of the Maroon Bells or less likely. And all three voted to, I think, make it more likely, even at the same time saying they never wanted to see it happen. Uh, and I understand that they're probably guarding what they consider to be a, a city asset, which is a, a water right in hand. Um, but what do you think you would have done? If, would you have filed for diligence? Would you have voted to do that? No, no, I, I probably wouldn't have supported that. Um, and uh, like you, I understand. I understand the action. I, I get it. I, I, uh, you know, and I've been there. We get taken behind. You guys meet with your water attorney in executive yeah. session. They're like, it's a city asset. Don't, yeah. don't throw it overboard. And, right? and, and I've been there in those discussions. You know, in the eight years that I served, we, we renewed those rights. Um, mm -hmm. uh, these days, I, I think you know, what we're seeing is, is exactly how you stated it. Uh, it's a, a distaste for the actual action, but the filing keeps it as a potential outlier and a possibility. I, I learned from the hydro plant um, that this community values its free running rivers more than perhaps other priorities that we have. And again, as a representative the people that I represent and the community that I've heard from would not support that. And that's why I would go against it. Um, I've been a little shocked, frankly, in some ways of the city's policy because I know they cast it as a, well, we're just maintaining our water rights. And I try and unpack that and say, well, actually you're maintaining two specific water rights, not your whole portfolio of water rights. And you're basically telling the state that you're making progress on this project when in reality you're not. 
And so you're basically bullshitting the state, is, is how I see it. And I think there's almost an integrity issue there, frankly, with the city, that they need to take a hard look at why are we bullshitting the state? The mayor characterizes as, and I'll talk to Steve about this certainly, that well, the state's making us do this in order to maintain these water rights. And I'm like, no, the state's not making you do it. Right. You voted to file for diligence. Yeah. So do you think the city's bullshit in the state? I, I think it's a sad state of affairs when we have to work against each other in order to work with each other. I mean, that's just awful. Uh, and I think that leads you down a bad path in the future, you know, when you are posturing and positioning with the intention of something else the end result is it's not gonna, it doesn't seem like there could be a positive end result coming from that. You're either going to go, you're either going to be bullshitting the state and go back on what you're presenting, or you're bullshitting your citizenry and you're actually going to do what they're saying they don't want you to do. Right. It's one of the others. It's one of the other. You're, how it looks to me. You're either telling, you're either going to build a dam with the Maroon Vales as you're telling the state, or you're not as you're telling your citizens. So which is it? Yeah. And so this, the city council could make a decision to settle and, and walk away from those water rights at any time. Um, so do you think it should be a campaign issue? And how, how far are you willing to go? Are you willing to, to stand up and say, I think we should walk away from these conditional water rights? Uh, yes, and I already I have done that. Have you? I have been vocal about that. Now, mm -hmm. I'm interested to find out if there is another way to go about this. Uh, the latest meeting, and I actually am participating in a. There's a small group of people that are that are involved in the water planning process. Uh, we met as a, a a group. There's probably seven of us in the room um, to give feedback to the planners to do the public process, etc. Um, this is the consultants the city has hired to help correct. shape the public process. Correct. So they came and talked to you. They did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was in the okay. room for that and, and continue to stay involved in how we're going to go about the public process. Because what's come out recently a little bit on this is some alternative solutions. Right? So If we actually need storage, there may be other places to put it. It's true. But so we don't know if we need it. You know, and that's the other part is that, is that we need to be looking at our consumption, uh, our allocation, um, and, and that future needs assessment, if you will, is something that's great. I have one issue with this. The consultant that we've hired is a risk management analysis guy, right? As he calls himself an economist. Um, risk management studies are predicated and based on how much risk you're going to accept. So. I can already see the end of this study. It's going to have a scale of 1 to 10. It's going to tell you losing the water rights is this giant risk. Mitigating them comes with a higher cost. My point is that a risk study simply does that. It outlines and defines the risk that you are exposing yourself to through this issue. I think they've hired a consultant who, well, people in the water management world know that the assumptions that you make going into a risk analysis model determine the outcome. And so you can put a bunch of things into your box and spit out a bunch of different things. So I don't know if that's going to be sort of dead on arrival because in some ways the city doesn't have credibility on this issue. Um, you know, there's a 1990s water management plan that was supposed to be updated every five or ten years and it hasn't been. And so there's this flurry of water planning activity going on but it's not happening in the regular course of orderly planning. It's happening in response to the publicity around these conditional water rights. And so there's some, I've read the draft consultant's report from that, uh, from the consensus or the public process planning uh -huh. interviews they did. And it, they talk about the trust gap, the credibility gap that exists on this issue. Yeah. It's there. And I spoke, I, you know, and that was some of my input as well. I, I spoke mm -hmm. to that issue. Right. So you think if people, vote for you, it, it will increase or decrease the likelihood of a dam being built within view of Maroon Bell? I would say it would de decrease the <laughs> likelihood. Yeah, and again, it's a tough, I think it's the key question of the election, but again, I'm, that's my pet issue I, at the I, moment. I have, I have been speaking to this issue, um, you know, in some of the literature that I'm putting out, uh, I say right here, I am against damming our creeks and flooding our valleys. Uh, I, my hope is that there's better planning uh, available to us uh, for our consum 
consumption, and uh, and maybe there is another alternative for damming and storing. So we have about five minutes left. I should ask you what else is on your list that we haven't covered. What <laughs> other other points might you want to make to people? What else are you? What else is on your platform, if you will? Well, um, you know, again, I'm an issue-based candidate. So um, I, I, again, I, I'm an environmentalist. Um, I look for more improvement in our uh, environmentalism. I, I've. I am very proud of the work that I have done before. Uh, I was uh, very key in getting our trash haulers to include recycling in their service. Um, I was uh, definitely an outspoken advocate for the plastic bag ban. That was all yours, um, frankly. But I think there's a I think there's a lot more to be done, uh, and I I look at I look at those as um, some in some ways symbolic gestures. To me, when somebody takes on the ethic of recycling, composting, it, it, it permeates more into the rest of their life as well. They, they end up becoming more aware of their consumption. Uh, my greatest hope uh, is about better packaging. Uh, I would like to see the end of plastics. We are getting to a point with our technology that we can be creating and, and building product out of uh, plant-based materials that are biodegradable. Uh, you know, and that are really less harmful to our environment. Uh, sometimes I actually, I, people do give me a little guff about the plastic bag ban. Some I think of you occasionally when I'm juggling. Convenionists. Five things, yeah. <laughs> Convenionists <laughs> right. um, are, are like, what are you doing? My point is, I, I'm not about taking about a, a bag away from you. I'm saying that it shouldn't be ba made out of a petroleum-based plastic product. We can do the same thing out of a biodegradable disposable bag that you literally, that won't get stuck in our trees and our bushes and our streams and our rivers, that ends up going out to the oceans with the, the gyres that, anyway, it's you know. It's becoming increasingly popular around the country. It's, you were ahead of the curve, I think, but it, it's, it's. It is, it, yeah. not just the country, the world, as a matter yeah. of fact. There are entire countries that are looking. So anyway, I think we can take that idea and forward it more. So environmentalism is extremely important to me. Um, it, our, our local character is number one. You know, I live in Aspen. I, you know, I went to school and grew up in Florida, right? Now, I came to Aspen because I had a friend that lived here. I fell in love with Aspen because of the people that I met here, you know? Um, I, I, I've become uh, a mountain guy, and I, I love getting on my snowboard and my skis and getting on the hill. Uh, I love everything about the natural surroundings. But the thing that really attracts me most to Aspen is the people that I've met here and the community that we have. Uh, the last two weeks have been so uh, so wonderful here in Aspen. Every from the from the World Cup finals to to today, I've had a smile on my face. Not a day has gone by that I haven't been like extremely thankful that I live in Aspen, and and I want to maintain that for generations to come. So supporting the locals, environmentalism. Uh, the connectivity of citizenry, like I said, I think our communication is broken down between City Hall and, and our citizens. I want to fix that. Um, I haven't really enjoyed some of the capital projects and how we're building as a city. You know, the city has, has voted, these council members, these incumbents have voted for uh, $50 million of city construction. The city is going to be the most impactful uh, construction entity in our community for years to come at this point. Um, I think there's some efficiency to be gained there. I didn't agree with, I don't agree with how it's being allocated and what our usage is going. Uh, the new police department, I thought we lost an opportunity to build another 20,000 square feet on a prime government location. Um, we're talking about uh, repurposing the armory, not for the community center, but for a different kind of office ethic for the city. And now we're talking about building a 47 foot tall building across from Rio Grande Park. I think that we can do better. I think we should lead by example if we're the city. Housing, I'm an advocate for our housing, but I think we need to clean up our program. We need to support the people that are currently in affordable housing as we also look to make some more housing available in the future as well. Well, cool, that's a pretty good summation of your platform. I appreciate that. Brian. Thank you. We're out of time and it's been a, another quick hour. I know. Yeah, so good luck. I uh, appreciate it. Always a pleasure to come over to Grassroots and talk with you. Cool, thanks. My pleasure. Take care. Grassroots Community Network's 2017 Aspen City Council candidate and election coverage 
is made possible by a grant from the Thrift Shop of Aspen, where your donations and purchases of clothing and other personal items supports dozens of nonprofits throughout the Roaring Fork Valley. Underwriting for Grassroots ProBlind series of in-depth candidate discussions is provided by A&B Bank Aspen, a bank like no other, with the strength, talent, commitment, and security to fulfill their business and personal customers' financial needs. A special thanks to Aspen Journalism for partnering with Grassroots on ProBlind, because well-informed citizens make better decisions. Discover more local, in-depth investigative journalism at aspenjournalism.org. It is simple to join these local institutions in supporting grassroots programming. Click the Donate button on your next visit to grassrootstv.org. You can watch this program and thousands of other grassroots programs online at grassrootstv.org, as well as on Cable Channel 12, Up Valley, Cable Channel 82, Down Valley, and Free TV Channel 12.1, over the Picking County Translator System. Or find a podcast of this discussion and many other informative and inspiring local presentations by clicking the iTunes or SoundCloud icons at the top of grassrootstv.org homepage.